Hello, friends. Welcome back to an episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by Future Quip and Stamps. All awesome products. I'm currently just finished my workout on Future. It's kicking my ass, but I'm getting in shape, man. Brush my teeth with Quip today. That's awesome. And Stamps.com, I'm going to start using it to ship all the clothes that I've been selling because I don't need so many things. Ah, guys, happy 2020. So we're still just barely in it. And uh, things are things are good. I'm really excited about my podcast guest today. And I think you guys are going to freaking love her. But before I get to that, I just want to thank you guys so much for just being so cool and nice to me and the DMs I receive. And I'm so excited to meet a bunch of you at my shows coming up. And, uh, you know, um, and again, thank you so much for the five star reviews and good ratings. Like, I love you guys so much. And uh, quick show dates, uh, Denver, that's that will show will co- is happening the day after this podcast comes out. So if you can make it January 17th, Denver, Colorado, I think there's still some tickets available. You can find all my tickets at rachelbryancomedy.com. That'll be the easiest way to do this. And then Detroit, Michigan, February 19th, uh, Long Island, March 28th, and then Boston, March 29th. And we're looking to add some Texas dates soon. So I'll keep you posted on that. And as always, there's a bunch of shows around LA, but I, you know, those kind of come up last minute, but hope to meet you guys at one soon. And okay. So now for the guest, I'm so excited. So audio boom, my network, uh, originally like pitched her to me so we could do like a, a cross promotion. And I was like, yeah, sure. And so they told me about our podcast and I was hooked within the first 10 minutes of listening to one episode. Okay, so this is Chelsea Weber Smith. She's a poet turned podcaster with an MFA from the University of Virginia. And her career in podcasting began with a show called Behind True Crime. Interviews with prominent figures in the genre, including uh, the directors of Wild Wild Country and HBO's Paradise Lost. Um, but her current podcast, the one I'm obsessed with, is called American Hysteria. It covers the moral panics, conspiracy theories, and fantastical thinking that have shaped American culture from the Puritans to the present. It's a really popular podcast. She covers so many things uh, and stimulating conversation on the issues of race, gender, sexuality, and the forgotten history that informs the social and political climate we live in today. Uh, Chelsea identifies as queer and non-binary, and we explain what that means to not confuse everyone and she lives in seattle with a wild history of hitchhiking not that i can agree with that chelsea but whatever you do you and traveling in her truck old handsome uh so you guys are gonna like freak out when you listen to american hysteria like like i said it covers like moral panics like the satanic panic in the 80s um they do one on mind control there's a little bit of a uh, snippets of Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop in that one <laughs> just stuff that you didn't even know like what the backstory of like the Illuminati was and we even cover my connection with the Illuminati and uh this crazy little men's club called Bohemian Grove that my dad has been to so yeah it's just gonna be a fun kind of cool informative episode and I think you guys are gonna absolutely love her so without further ado give it up for Chelsea Weber Smith Hey, Chelsea, thank you so much for doing this. I'm happy to have you here. Yeah, and I am so happy to be here. Thank you, Rachel. Um, well, actually, you're not here. You're in Seattle. Is it raining horribly there? No, it's snowing. It's Which snowing is, in Seattle? It's snowing. Yeah, yes. I guess it's I just snowing. talked to my mom earlier. My, my parents live in Astoria, Oregon, which is yeah. not that far. And she mentioned snow on the ground. So it's snowing there. It's, it's snowing. And, you know, when it snows in Seattle, the city panics. <laughs> You know, speaking of American hysteria, everybody 
the city kind of shuts down. We're not quite to that level yet. Um, it needs to maybe be like three inches of snow. And yeah. Then we, and then everything just blows up. Um, so we're not quite there yet, but it's not, I mean, it's nice. I always think about how it sucks to be without homes and stuff when it snows, you know, not to yeah. put a damper on the beauty of the snow. No. But, I, you know, it's it, it's a it's a mixed bag of things. But yeah, it's snowing. That's the point. I actually, this might lead into uh, one of my questions I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, uh, so this is going off of the format I had planned, but this actually is about you and your backstory. I resonated so much with you when you talked about, I think it was on the mind control episode, mm-hmm. when you said that you were the type of person that would just cry when you would see someone on the street that was struggling. Or yeah. um, I, I am the exact same way, and I... Uh, I wanted to know, do you consider yourself an empath? You know, probably. Uh, I <laughs> People might dismiss those as pseudoscience categories. So as yeah. my when I have my American hysteria hat on, I say no. But when I take it off and I like astrology and stuff, you know, I, uh, I think that I'm certainly an empath in that uh, I can feel people's feelings almost in like a mystical way, I think. But mm-hmm. most everyone must also have that experience uh but yeah I can't it's hard for me to ignore almost anything (laughs) without Mm -hmm. without feeling it unless I'm in like a lower mood and then I almost feel like it can be the opposite and I'm sure people relate to that too where you're sort of cut off from feeling anything from Mm -hmm. anyone yeah Mm -hmm. no that makes a lot of sense I was having a conversation with um my boyfriend the other day where I said I know that this is a problem of mine. I think this would fall into the category. If we're doing categories, which I actually like that you debunk all the like, you know, the specific terms that like make people feel like they're put in a category, you know, Mm because like a lot of the stuff you talk about on your podcast, it's like, okay, well, we used to say this stuff back in the 1800s. Cool. But then we realized years later, like, oh, that was just like a cultural, you know, problem basically. Yeah. But, um, but I was saying to my boyfriend the other day, like, I think this is like, I kind of identify with definitely being codependent because like I'm unhappy if others people around me are sad. Like I can't, I can't handle it and I want to fix it. I want to, you know, and I, I think that that is, I don't know if it's a codependency thing or an empath thing, but it's more just like I, it makes me feel so sad to see other people struggle. I'll tell you, I have been in Codependence Anonymous for like four or five years. Uh So I actually have done a ton of, which is an interesting 12-step program, right? Because it comes out of like Al-Anon, Children of Alcoholics, but it's not that at all. It's just basically for people who have a really hard time setting boundaries, right? So Mm -hmm. that might be an example of setting some kind of boundary within yourself where you say, "It's, it's not my job to save everybody, but here's what I can do. Yeah. And still be a healthy person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you enjoy Codependence Anonymous? I, I went to one meeting and I forced my parents to go with me. <laughs> and it it was, I felt like there was no solution and that bothered me. Sure. Like I felt like it was a lot of, and I think maybe I just caught a bad meeting. Probably. But that it, it was a lot of complaining and then no... <laughs> 
resolution and it I, it bothered me a lot. That's fine. No, I mean, it's it's also not for everyone, but I have been to meetings like that. And then I've been to ones like the one I went to continuously. That was where a lot of good things happened for me, right? Because it was the same people. It was seeing people's progress. That's the mm-hmm. biggest thing is, and maybe that's codependent, but, you know, <laughs> seeing somebody that's else funny. progress. You know, like this one woman was like going this horrible divorce, was so depressed. And of course, there's, there's complaining going there. Mm-hmm. But usually, usually it's 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 uplifting because people say but this time I made this small step toward being healthier but mm-hmm. this one yeah and then I this one woman had gone through a horrible divorce as I mentioned and you know weeks and weeks and weeks went by and it was like she was slowly getting better and better and by the end she was like I just went to the zoo by myself and I had a great day by myself <laughs> and I don't know it just like it's those little kind of silly things but you're like yeah. okay you go to the zoo by yourself. I'm going to keep doing the things that I need to do. And I got a lot out of it. I think I don't go. I don't go anymore. You know, yeah, it was, a, yeah. it was a, a rough period. So it took me. It's cool. Your parents went, though. Well, <laughs> did it they was, hate it, it, too? It's a whole it's a whole larger story. But oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure <laughs> I, won't, um, I won't force you to go into that. But. Yeah. Um, so, OK, so a little bit about your backstory. So you're from Seattle. Is that where you were born and raised? Yeah, I was born in uh, outside of Olympia, which is the capital city, and then moved up to a Seattle suburb when I was uh, about five. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, most of my life for sure. And um, I I don't know why I, I feel like you have a lot of siblings because you credit a f- <laughs> few of them in the end of your podcast or is it just one? I don't know. So explain it's, it's, your, your childhood, your your family system. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, it's only the only family member that works on the show is my brother, Riley. Um, okay. I had a former assistant producer when I was at a, a network who uh, was also just coincidentally had a Smith last name. So it was kind of funny for us because uh, it feels like a family band. Mm-hmm. Um, but now my girlfriend, Miranda, is also part of the uh, she does our mini episodes in that with me, and then she also just does. Uh, she helps with a little bit of the writing and uh, some of the producing, and then my brother also helps edit. And then we have Rod Rodriguez, who's our really great um, editor producer guy, and he's responsible for like the sound of American Hysteria, mm-hmm. you know, which which I enjoy everything he does. Oh, um, it's so good! It's yeah. edited very well. The sound yeah. sounds so good. Not everybody can afford to get really nice equipment I lucked out and got it bought for me and uh you know but it's expensive um but you know you know I think backstory wise uh my brother and I have always worked together uh he records music for me um he does all kinds of funny projects we like to we've overdubbed movies before we're just like a great team um and I grew up with my mom and my stepdad who are both great. Uh, my mom's into very weird things, right? Like she loved the Da Vinci Code and all of the um, the the questions about the Vatican and, and kind of conspiracies and then also ghosts, like for sure, and the paranormal, mm-hmm. aliens, all that stuff, but in like a really kind of normal way, you know, like yeah. n- not a fanatic. And then my, my biological dad, who I spent a lot of weekends with, was sort of the opposite. He was very... I mean, not the opposite. And then he was very into things, but the conspiracy theories were more intense. Um, the apocalypse prepping, the uh, just a, a lot more extreme um, and a lot more <laughs> like a little bit on the, the freakier side for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
But uh, so I think that that right leads into why I did the show growing up with the Illuminati and growing up with like he was a 2012 er so I mentioned that a lot on the podcast. It's kind of like my root because I used to be a freaky, intense conspiracy theorist as well. Um, and, you know, Illuminati, even Satanist stuff. I was like, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe yeah. all of these powerful people do crazy satanic rituals and you know, try uh, who knows. But so I was that person. So I try to bring people into the show uh, that way and say, hey, like, I believe things that were certainly not true. Let's check in with these different things that we believe and make sure that we're not uh, doing more damage by fearing the wrong things and believing in things that don't exist to a degree that's damaging. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, that I, I think that's why your podcast is so good. It's that it makes you rethink like all well, the hysteria of like the satanic panic and stuff. Like they should have really thought through a lot of that stuff. Like just because a kid likes metal music, like I loved Metallica. Were they evil? No, they were just a freaking band. Like, yeah, yeah, they we're just, and you know, they would, all, all the suburbs would find, you know, uh, whatever they're called, like the star. Why am I forgetting? Pentagram, of course. They'd find yeah. pentagrams painted and like hail Satan. and But all it was was kids knowing that they could get a rise out of people, you know. Yeah, and totally. And then the fundamentalist rise and Reagan, all of that comes together just to make a real. And then, you know, the interesting thing is it was also the extreme feminists who – it's often really interesting because um, the most extreme feminists often uh, find a lot in common with the fundamentalist right. And so that was part of why the satanic panic was so powerful was because uh, if you go into sort of the McMartin stuff, which is the the children who uh, accused a lot of these uh what would you call uh, like their teachers and mm-hmm. preschool caregivers? Because, you know, I mean, we want to and I think it's important to believe the victim always. But when the victim is a very impressionable child who's saying things like my teachers are witches that flew around the room and flew me in a plane to Mexico where I met the Mexican president and where <laughs> then I came back and sat in a kiddie pool full of sharks, you know, and, and that there is a that a teacher shot a horse in the middle of the classroom and that there's, you know, sacrificed babies buried in abandoned lots. You know, the cops were digging up lots looking for like, (laughs) and you know, the problem with it, though, is that like the adults whose brains are technically fully formed (laughs) should have been like, these are maybe five year old kids saying this. Why don't we do a little self-checking and be like, let's see if it like a little investigation before freaking out. Yeah. And the problem with it is, is when we freak out, we freak out over good things. Like that was our first wave of freaking out in a real way about child sexual abuse, which is yeah. a huge problem. Oh, it is. But it's one of like, my uh, passions to, good, to yeah. figure out how to make that not yeah. a thing. And it should be. But the reality is, is that it's mostly within our family systems and within yeah. our very close groups. And so, you know, it's it's a scapegoat for us when we are we learn of this new thing that's almost too ter- terrible to imagine. And then, you know, conveniently, we can we can say, oh, that happens over there in this really extreme way with Satan and all, you know, all mm-hmm. these other things. So then but the problem with that is then we redirect our attention away from the more the less sensationalized versions of it that are happening all the time. And and it's not, you know, it's not about not believing the victim, but it's about 
you know, making sure that the victim isn't being, if they're a child, being coached because yeah. children can be coached. And that's what this is all about is mm-hmm. about people, you know. Uh, I fem- recommend, hey, listeners, if you're listening, I recommend you go and listen to her episode about the, I think it was Satanic Panic Part yeah, 1 Satanic or 2. Panic. Yeah, Satanic Panic. Yeah. Both, so well, we're, we're not is- not believing the children. We're, we're saying that there were coerced by uh, technically professionals that didn't actually have real training and... Uh, and a different agenda too I think like lots of people with bad agendas and lots of people who picked up on those bad agendas and ran with them and I mean I probably would have too if we're being honest I mean I would have wanted to immediately make sure you know it's it's a it's a crazy story and when we're Mm -hmm. stuck in the middle of it I'm very well may have Mm -hmm. have been part of it I have I have no idea, but it's totally possible, you know. Yeah, no, I I yeah I agree. So okay, I'm gonna I want to go back to that stuff, but I want to just dive a little bit more totally. into who you are, how you started this podcast. Uh, besides the fact that your parents were into it, but like you went to college for poetry. Think, yeah, poetry. That's what yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so that was sort of my path for a long time. I've been a writer since I was a kid. Um, and, uh, storytelling is definitely what I've always, uh, wanted to contribute because I think stories are, are more powerful, at least to me than, than, than statistics or other things that are presented to us on a daily basis and don't really affect us emotionally. Um, but Mm -hmm. when you can tell a single story about someone, say a refugee or say, uh, you know, a child who's been abused, uh, you you get so much more from that and that's something that poetry teaches us is at least modern poetry is to have an image because an image is so much more like when sorry when you create an image with your words when you tell a story basically and you give it life you know you make someone be able to feel it with description and with the way that you can put a sentence together then you're able to kind of like break through some of the barriers I think Mm -hmm. um, and get to the human part between two people and I think that you know poetry is such a weird thing to go to school for but I I did get a fellowship so I didn't I just didn't have to pay for it so I'm not in some crazy poetry debt which is nice um because <laughs> that debt. wouldn't be <laughs> great because so, it's, it's such a lucrative career exactly you could have pulled Ex- yes <laughs> yes I was going to be the next uh I don't know who Shakespeare I don't know how you'd ha- how how well you'd have to do to make money but uh <laughs> you know so I uh I did that that was at the University of Virginia. Wonderful people, uh, wonderful professors there. And I just got this random job. I used to travel all the time um, growing up, especially I used to hitchhike, which horrifies most people. What? Yeah, horrifying. Oh. I know. I was, Where were your parents? Why did they let you? Uh, you have to ask them. They didn't fully know about it. Um, but I've just always been a super independent kid. And I wasn't alone. I was usually with a guy. And we were going around uh, all over the country. But basically what I'm mentioning is that, well, I was traveling in my truck, which I did for a long time, uh, Toyota Tacoma, just living, camping, living that life. I used to have a Toyota um, 4Runner, lifted yeah. all, the, all the redneck stuff that mm-hmm. was my town. <laughs> I am a big, big Toyota fan. So uh, I, anyway, I was traveling on the road and I got a job with this uh, entertainment company that kind of leaned toward uh, 
like the horror genre and then also kind of the true crime genre. And so I started blogging for them. And I've always been a huge true crime person, um, as I know you are as well. Mm -hmm. I heard you mention that. Um, And so they had me blogging about it. And then eventually they gave me a pot or they let me start a podcast called Behind True Crime. And that's where I started podcasting. Uh, And it was basically talking to different people. You guys know as well as I do how hard it is to stick to a fitness routine. Maybe you're one of those people who know exactly what you're doing, but need new ways to take your workouts to the next level. Or maybe you have no idea what you're doing and just need a little baseline to help you reach your goals. So I definitely get stuck in a rut where like if I'm in the mood to just be, you know, a walker for several months in a row, or maybe I add in some light jogging and then I don't really go to the gym or well, I'm a gym membership, but sometimes I'd go to Pilates and stuff like I would kind of just get stuck in a certain thing. And yes, I feel like I have a pretty like base level good idea of fitness and I, and I do work out, but holy crap. Joining Future has taken my fitness to the next level. My trainer does not let me skimp on a workout. Yes, he will modify it to fit my busy travel schedule and stuff, but I already am seeing results and I'm so excited about it. So a personal trainer, yeah, that would help like one in person, but who can afford that? That's why I started using Future. Future pairs you up with one of their world-class trainers and coaches and creates a personalized workout plan tailored specifically to your schedule, your routine, your goals, and your progress. Your coach checks in with you daily to keep you on track, sending texts, making adjustments to your routine, and following your progress logged on your Apple Watch. And if you don't have an Apple Watch, no problem. When you sign up to train, with Future, they send you everything you need, including an Apple Watch. So don't overpay for a trainer. Get the workouts you need to meet all your fitness goals and take your trainer with you wherever you go with Future. And I encourage you guys to try Future. Sign up for Future today at tryfuture.com slash be here and get 50% off your first month. That's tryfuture.com slash be here for 50% off your first month. Tryfuture.com slash be here. They let me start a podcast, and it was called Behind True Crime, and it was interviews with all kinds of people who work in uh, the genre, directors, um, let's see, podcasters, mm-hmm. uh, writers, TV personalities, you know, et cetera, forensic psychologists, people like that. And it was kind of the goal was to uh, take a look at true crime and, of course, their work and, and their lives, but uh, what exactly they do and how they think about true crime and ways to do it responsibly and ways to, to do it that are a lot less responsible because obviously true crime, I mean, I look at something like the R. Kelly documentary. That's mm-hmm. huge. That was so important. Lifetime made that, which is insane, by the way. But, yeah. um, you know, that's a so important. There are so many, so many documentaries that have done such great things. And then on the other side, we have things like CBS continuously pumping out what happened to John Bonet, like very very tacky, very just kind of soulless ways that mm-hmm. we consume crime, you know, like on the cover of People magazine or something. Uh, and just the ways to do that responsibly without then creating more victims, right? Like, because mm-hmm. you can easily, and I don't mean murder victims, but, you know, you maybe on your investigative podcast say, oh, I, you know, what about this evidence with this person without maybe yeah. realizing that then that person's going to get a hundred calls, death threats, all kinds of stuff. And then totally. the next episode, they're totally redeemed, you know, but it's too late. And so how to do this in a way that that helps more than harms because yeah. I, I I love well true also and and to be sensitive to the victims too like I had a very hard time with the uh uh like two podcasts ago I, I covered the story of Matthew Hahn I don't know if you 
listen to it or if you know it. And, no, and I don't think so. I was very, uh, very specific in the editing that because I know there's like internet sleuths out there will, that will try to figure out who this family was and who mm-hmm. the child that was sexually abused. I, I really wanted to be careful not to put any clues in there that they could figure out who the little girl was. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's very hard you you want to be sensitive because it's yeah yeah it's it's kind of terrifying all of it all of it is just very heavy and I knew very quickly that I didn't have the heart or the stomach to do any sort of investigative podcast uh and so this is kind of where I landed because they let me pitch something more um more myself that wasn't just an you know which is writing uh scripted research-based, you know, um, focusing on writing a lot more than just uh, live speaking. Uh, And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, American Hysteria was born and uh, out of, uh, did you ever listen to In the Dark? Uh, I don't think so. If you didn't, you would love it. But the first season's all about Jacob Wetterling, who's one of the kids on the milk cartons, which uh, the Stranger Danger generation, which is our our first episode, is is on Stranger Danger. And we cover um, why the stranger has been used all the way back to colonial times, the kidnapping stranger to sort of demonize different groups, but also to, again, like deflect attention away from the kidnappings that do happen, which are usually parental, the abuse that does happen, Mm -hmm. which is usually within a family unit or else very close to a family and so Mm -hmm. again the the show is is this this misdirection thing where we'll we'll fear something over here so that maybe we don't have to deal with this like really intense thing that is right right in front of us so yeah I just love that uh in the dark was the one that really covered stranger danger as a moral panic Uh, and a moral panic for anyone who doesn't know is Basically, what it sounds like uh, anytime we freak out over something that's that's not real um, or not real enough for the response that we're giving it. And it's usually something having to do with morality, which in America often does have to do more with, you know, gender, race, sexuality, class than it does about, you know, who a person is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's 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 a lot of what has been very important about your podcast and what I've really resonated with is is debunking all of these things of like that people it's it's who's ever in control technically who kind of makes the narrative right exactly and that's a big part of the show is the narrative right um Mm -hmm. the stories that we create in order to justify what we do i mean that's the illuminati story i know you wanted to talk about the illuminati a little bit Mm because you have your own i think experience with that um yeah well the illuminati is different than bohemian grove yes no well it's not bohemian grove all right let's do it about all of these different things okay you you've done the research you schooled me on and i also want to know about the masons because my mom's dad was part of that too so i don't totally understand so you're trying to figure out if if you're in the illuminati right (laughs) well isn't the illuminati not real isn't that what you the illuminati is not real um well Yes, the Illuminati is not real. Um, But that does not mean that there are not many powerful people controlling things that happen in the world. They're just not. So basically what happened with me and the Illuminati is my dad got me really into Zeitgeist. And I don't know if you remember that movie, but Mm -hmm. it was Zeitgeist. And there was another one called the Bilderberg Group. And it was all Illuminati stuff. It was all 
stuff I could get down with because this was also like Bush era, right? Um, so I was yeah. very into conspiracy theories against sort of that establishment, against Bush and and uh, I even had conspiracy theories into Obama, but um, <laughs> it was. It was something that was so fascinating to me, made sense. I was a big Occupy Wall Street person, so I was very um, focused on uh, wealth, dis- you know, wealth disparity and why the 1% has so much of the resources and there's so much poverty. Um, and the Illuminati fit super well in that <laughs> because mm-hmm. you have these these villains that you feel like are so evil because you look around you and you just see all the suffering and then you look at them and you're like, you have a billion dollars a bi- you have, you know, $24 billion. And here's a fun fact. If you have a billion dollars, you could have spent $1,000 every day since the birth of Christ and still have money left over. So, Jeez. and these people have $60 billion, right? So yeah. um, you look at that and, and you almost can project just like the Puritans projected, say, not just like, because it's very different, but you project these evil qualities on the people you consider evil, which often has horrifying effects on people like indigenous people who Puritans othered or, you know, gave demonic qualities to. Um, But it's almost natural that we look at our enemy with these, you know, and and who's a better enemy, right, than the elite, than these celebrities, than Mm -hmm. all these people who have everything who are apparently in the Illuminati. Um, Mm -hmm. So at the time I was like, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I'm a little bit of a fantastical thinker. You know, my dad's talking about reptilians and stuff. And uh, (laughs) so, yeah. And then it got to a point for me where I was listening to this. I was enjoying it. I even went to, as you mentioned, Bohemian Grove, which I didn't go there. That's not true. I can't. I was like, did you go? You wouldn't be allowed in there. They would take one look at me and be like, you are a communist spy. (laughs) um, I uh, I camped at a campground with a bunch of people who had worked there. And that Mm -hmm. was crazy. And uh, there's just like a bunch of people who were kind of living at a campground and we were hanging out by a fire and they were telling us all about Bohemian Grove and saying things like, you know, Henry Kissinger loves my salsa and just like talking about all these powerful, powerful people who are out there just smoking cigars and doing weird stuff. And, you know, Alex Jones, actually, you know, everybody's favorite conspiracy theorist, terrifying man, he had a video of going out there um, filming this really creepy ritual that they were doing. And and it looks really bad. And when I saw it, I was like, what are they? Are they doing an evil, rich, freaky, satanic ritual out there? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you learn that it's all a lot more boring than that. And it's just totally is. It's just they call it revering the redwoods. And they just basically go out there and get wasted and fratty. And the women, women aren't allowed. (laughs) So it's very old school, weird frat boy who God God only knows what they do out there. But and they make deals out there, man. There's handshakes. There's there are Democrats and Republicans hanging out together, you know. And so it's Mm -hmm. like you don't have to believe in the Illuminati to believe that these people exist. They're just Mm -hmm. probably not doing you know, occult magic the way that we think that, you know, Beyonce gets on stage and creates some sort of satanic ritual with the way that she dances or something, because that's where we get to. But I will tell you, when I finally ended my relationship to the Illuminati was when I was talking to someone about it, you know, and we were like in a bar, like talking about all of it as as I'm ought to do. And, uh, And he said something like, yeah. And then the, you know, the Jewish 
group that does all this. And basically they were saying that it was the Jews that were the Illuminati. Um, and, and then at that point I was like, oh, okay, hold on. Like, I think, I think I've gone too far. And yeah. then, <laughs> and then I started to read about sort of where you go if you keep going, like if you keep going down the rabbit hole. And uh, as myself and my girlfriend slash uh, sometimes co-host on American Hysteria say, it's Nazis all the way down. So yeah. after that, it is real bleak. Um, so I, I I discarded my Illuminati theory, but uh, kept my belief that, you know, there are there are people who are making decisions uh, that we don't know about, and they aren't always in. They aren't usually in our best interest. Uh, yeah. But that doesn't mean, you know, that it's that it's anything bigger than it is. Uh, there's no magic happening. There isn't lizard people. Um, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I think there's lizard people. Guys, Quip really takes my personal self care and hygiene to the next level. Quip, the makers of the Quip electric toothbrush, wants you to know that one single discovery that matters most for your dental care, it's simply this, that if you have good habits, you're good. That means brushing for two minutes twice a day and flossing regularly, no matter what brand you use. Quip makes that simple, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide a full and even clean. The Quip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked stream to help you use just enough. Plus, Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping, so your routine is always right. Join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash be here right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash be here. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash be here. Quip, the good habits company. Did everything you say on your podcast, is that all you know or is there more? That's all I know firsthand. Um, and really probably all I know about it. it it's, uh, yeah, I think that's all I know. Okay. So, okay, so when... I remember like a couple years ago when my um, my mom first told me, she was like, oh, dad got invited to go to this thing called Bohemian Grove by um, one of his friends. So a little backstory on my dad, my family, uh, and it, whatever. Um, my, my dad is not a politician. He's not like in finance, anything like that. My dad um, owns a, a timber falling company in Oregon. Okay. So, but essentially is... I mean, my dad didn't go to college. He's not like with, you know, he's not amongst like the elite like that. He does well, but he's not sure. at all like it's not like that. But he, I, he he has a group of friends who happen to be very successful that he grew up with in Astoria, whatever. So one of them, I guess, is a member of Bohemian Grove. So when, when originally my mom told me about it and she was like, oh, it's so. And then I like Googled and I was like, holy shit, this sounds so like what the what? Like, I was yeah. like, where is my dad going? Like, and then like after he, so he, he's been twice. I do believe, and I think I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that there are different, um, weeks that this happens. Like, I think that there's a week that only members are allowed mm -hmm. to go to. And then there's a week where you can bring a friend or whatever. Mm -hmm. So my dad's account of it is that it is kind of boring, like not boring, but like, Meaning nothing creepy happens. Right. Yeah, there's not women there, but it's like, it's like, 
they're they're yeah they're just drinking eating going on hikes doing things like that like connecting with the redwoods and there's a lot of like speeches like uh the guy that did the free solo did a a, a speech there's randomly there'll be like a member of crosby stills and nash or something that will like play a guitar set like so it's it's and my dad's me, me and my dad are super close like he would tell me if something was like creepy there so oh i'm sure his his account of it is like i don't know it was just sort of like hanging out like yeah. it's so it probably isn't as creepy as people have made it seem unless of course that happens on a different week i don't know and it probably does because there are weird there are videos of weird things like they put on this weird play called, uh, I'm not going to remember it, oh, The Cremation of Care. There's videos of it, and they're all wearing mm-hmm. robes, and it looks like a weird ritual, but it's just kind of like a really lame like play that they do. Yeah, I'm and sure like, that's all it is. Yeah, and there's like and my dad's And my dad's and... friends that invited him there, I've known them since I was a little kid. They're like second dads to me. Yeah, and they're, they're not They're not weird Satanists. people at all. Yeah. No, they couldn't be more normal and yeah. sweet. So like... Yeah, it's it's just a it just fits into a narrative, you know, of, of yeah. secret societies. And the problem with these stories, they're, they're funny now, right? You can get like pyramids yeah. on, on your tights or something. And uh, it's very pop cultural. But the problem is, is that now the Illuminati is coming back in kind of like the deep state conspiracy. Um, mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that it do- these stories, the Illuminati, it traces back to Henry Ford, at least in America. I mean, Henry Ford is the one who who popularized the theory that Jewish people were controlling the world, right? Yeah. And so Henry Ford printed like 500,000 pamphlets and spread it all around the United States. Henry Ford was Hitler's favorite person. He had a full-size... I, I like hate hearing that. You I, I am your so sorry. He's the only person mentioned in my... In uh, Mein Kampf. My, yeah. And he had a full-sized portrait of Henry Ford beside Oof. his. And, you know, it, it is not... It's not I mean, he used the pro, he used the same texts that Henry Ford did in his speeches, you know, in mm-hmm. Nazi Germany. And so it's it's one of those things where this really funny thing in pop culture has gone through these really scary different times. And then fundamentalists got a hold of it and, and, and they took out the Jewish part. But there's still a lot of like secret terminology, like even the word cabal, when you say it's a cabal of people that that immediately <laughs> that's a Jewish word. So mm-hmm. um it's it's just that's the problem with conspiracy theories and i think we think that they're really fun a lot of the time myself included but a lot of times when you get to the bottom of them there is some just like sludge sludge darkness really scary stuff and the illuminati is i mean that is is one of the worst and we still see allusions at least to it in in manifestos and you know when we and these shootings at synagogues like they they Mm -hmm. all have to do with the illuminati if you can believe that even if they're not saying explicitly they're they're the illuminati but the idea that's really popular right now people like henry soros or whoever owns the world right or they control hollywood and that hollywood hypnotizes everybody into whatever who knows satanism or something but it always traces back to this jewish group and that's why we see these shootings. Even if they're not saying the word Illuminati, I bet you they're typing it somewhere else. Um, yeah. And that's what's so crazy, right? Is because I came into this having no idea. I was like, oh, I'm going to research the Illuminati. And I knew that there was a little anti-Semitism in it. But now I'm just like, 
Ugh, which is basically my job is to take a it's topic so, yeah, and go. It's so Ugh. disgusting. Like the yeah. the 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 deep rooted just racism and classism that are, it's it's painful to to know about because yeah. it's it's like you get kind of just disgusted. And so I was going to ask you, how do you? I mean, you're doing great work with your podcast, but how do you take care of yourself when you're constantly finding out because you're researching this stuff like the really shitty information about how shitty people can be to each other like, Ugh, well, how do you yeah what's your self-care routine with that great question not to bring up any Gwyneth Paltrow goop stuff because my oh, god yeah. is that woman annoyed my mom and I for years oh yeah well you've listened to our quackery episode oh yeah okay good yeah Gwyneth Paltrow is a definite favorite on American hysteria but um Jesus. yeah what is my self-care I think um I think that <laughs> I don't even really know. It doesn't. I'm lucky in that it doesn't um, like crumble my spirit. It's kind of almost fueling as much as that might be weird to say. It's just like, OK, I get another piece of this puzzle. Right. That helps me understand where we, where we are. And so it's kind of like I think of it almost like a true like a murder board where you have all of your pieces of evidence and you're tying your strings between them like an you know, like a someone on a real tear and I feel like I'm, I'm doing that most of the time you just can't really see it because it's on a word document um, but uh, that helps me I think like even if it's they're their really terrible things they fit into this greater puzzle that helps me understand the present and then helps me comment on it in a way like as long as I have integrity I'm feeling okay but mm-hmm. I mean the things that sc- I mean this podcast is scary it's political people are mean to me I don't read the comments people get mad at me um but I think that- that's very smart not to read them no, I no, no. I went through a phase where I didn't and now I'm reading them again and I'm like god damn it why don't do that yeah and I, I know take, why yeah, yeah. I, I take you as a person that uh would have like five great comments and one terrible one and you'll think about the terrible one and never think 100%. about the five good ones ever 100%. again. So, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's me. But of course, getting letters from people that like the show and, and social media posts and everything is is vital. You know, it's like mm-hmm. so, so vital. And then uh, I... I really like to make sure I get enough sleep. That's the number one need that I have is sleep. And then so down with that. I love a good yes, early bedtime. Yes. And so I, uh, I definitely like, I hang out with my girlfriend a lot. She's like very grounding for me and is That's very good. into American hysteria, like more than anyone I've ever met. So it's like, I How have. How did you guys meet? Sorry, we, I didn't mean to interrupt Oh, no, you. no, that's okay. We actually met in a really weird way. We, um, she had heard the podcast by way of another podcast and had binged it in like three days. And then she went to get in touch with me and uh, realized by looking at my pictures, having no idea who I was except from the podcast that we had already talked on Tinder a while ago. That's (laughs) so so funny. Yeah. So it was like a very like, you know, who knows? It felt very um, meant to be sort of. So yeah. And that's, and, and, and then I just immediately knew that not only did I like her, but that she was like this really, great addition you know with my brother being a researcher and her just kind of like also helping me just make sense of everything because it's just massive research and then you have to dwindle it down and have a thesis and all that stuff and it really helps to have somebody that you can bounce ideas off of like even in the middle of the night maybe like Mm -hmm. I might wake up and be like (gasps) you know and then she'll be like yeah (laughs) so it just helps to have like you know and then Rod is so my editor is so 
I think the team is just so down to and believes in the show and that yeah that is huge for me is having people believe in the show um and and having and, le- and knowing that you know <laughs> maybe my self-care maybe I'm being codependent right and I'm talking about how <laughs> affecting other people makes me feel makes me feel okay but you know knowing that parents and kids are listening you know I, I know there's a kid who gets homeschooled and they use my podcast you know and and Aww, knowing that that's so cool. isn't that cool I know I love that so much and just knowing that and hoping that these facts, even if there's just one fact that you hold on to from an episode, because there's a lot to hold on to, you have one thing and you share that with someone, right? Mm-hmm. You share like, this is what really happened during the Civil War, maybe or something, or this mm-hmm. is the truth. And then they say, oh, wow, that kind of changes everything. And then they might think about that. They might talk about it with someone else. And so just hoping that, hoping that, I don't know, <laughs> hoping yeah, that no, I'm making totally some kind of a, that. some kind of a difference really helps and yes sleeping uh smoking weed <laughs> something that i like uh Good being from you. washington uh i'm absolutely horrible at smoking weed. i, I would I like heard to that. figure it out i just I, I you know like some things just aren't for everyone like i think i have too much like i broke my nose like seven times as a kid i think and so <laughs> I, I like bad like sinusy weird stuff and so like every time i smoke then like my throat will hurt like i can't Poor i can't kid. do it what a poor kid you were <laughs> seven times right oh I was I, my I, my head was large and I was clumsy and it, it, nothing bad happened body. no one ever abused me it was just I was kind of a moron your head was just too big and you just tipped over yeah right? I tipped, yeah. couldn't hold it up you yeah. couldn't hold it up well, <laughs> oh, yeah no. like I I'd like to be like a cool weed smoker but like I feel like I like I, I've probably smoked weed like under 10 times in my life, but I like, I like, I'll be like, I'm going to give it the old college try this sure. time. And I'm just like, this isn't working. You're just, just in a closet thinking about all the bad things yeah. you've ever said yeah. in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like know. a combination of that. It hurts my throat. And then also that like, I don't want to think about bad things. Yes. Exactly. I don't want to be scared. It might not be for you. I just don't think it's for everybody, but it is yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah. Good. good but for uh, you. the other things I think uh, I, I should mention before smoking weed, this would have been more respectful is my therapist <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah I love I love hey, my whatever, therapist hey, listen whatever gets you through the night yes yes and she's wonderful I'm gonna go see her uh, right after this interview so oh, nice. let's face it most new year's resolutions are hard to keep you know get more exercise save more money well I have a resolution that's easy to keep stop wasting time going to the post office and use stamps.com instead okay so what I use for stamp with with stamps.com is I'm selling a lot of my clothes on Poshmark and all these sites and every time I make a sale I'm like yes and then I'm like oh now I have to go to the post office this is so stressful <laughs> but stamps.com you can do anything you do at the post office right from your computer Plus, Stamps.com gives you something you can't get at the post office. Big discounts on postage. And okay, so Stamps.com is perfect for like, let's say you have like an Etsy account and you're you're making, um, you know, just any product. Maybe you make t-shirts or maybe you sell merch or whatever. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle all of it with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it off in a mailbox. It's that simple. With stamps.com, you get five cents off every 
first-class stamp, and up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, saving you time and money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use Stamps.com. So give yourself a resolution you can actually keep this year. Stop going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There's no risk, and with my promo code BEHERE, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Be Here. That's stamps.com, promo code Be Here. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go see my therapist. I also therapist. have a psychiatrist, but I'm going Perfect. to see my my lovely therapist who is just an angel on earth. Get yourself a good therapist, man. If you if you don't like your therapist, if it's not working, you got to find a good one because, man... I had a lot of therapists I didn't like for years and years and years. I mean, they were fine. I thought they were fine. And then I met, like, the one. <laughs> the one. The one. <laughs> yes. Sounds like a marriage. I know. No, but I think that that's very important. Like, I think I actually do agree with that, though, that just because I've always had an opinion of, like, just because someone is technically in a position of power or they're a doctor or they're a therapist doesn't mean they're necessarily the right or the expert on everything because at the end of the day everyone's human right and it may not work for you and it may not and they might be misinformed they may have their own odd personality traits and things too sure yeah so okay so full people which is weird (laughs) yeah it it is weird but I think people never second guess that they're just like oh no it's a doctor he's a surgeon he's yeah it's obviously it's going to be great it's like Nah. <laughs> he might yeah. be going through a divorce she might be going through a divorce they might be hung over or something i don't, I don't know yeah. i would place all trust in all things no my therapist generally lets me come to my own conclusions versus you know telling me what to do i don't think my yeah. therapist would i think she would be mortified if she told me what to do sometimes i'm like what do i do and she's like well let's figure it out <laughs> so yeah but, so you uh, experienced something in your uh, like youth like uh you were you a teen the first time you entered this group thing? Uh, no, I was 11. 11, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So go into that, please. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was my, um, we like to say, because I know you're my favorite murder listener, that this was when I was in a cult and I called my dad. Um, <laughs> yep. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I went to this thing when I was 11. Uh, and I can't say the name because I don't want them to sue me. Um, but if you listen to the Lululemon episode of My Favorite Murder, you might know what it is. Yep. <clears throat> anyway, so um, I did tell Rachel off uh, <laughs> off the books here off hey, record listen, we're not getting sued we're not saying it do your own research this yeah. isn't our problem figure it out um so yeah we I went to this thing with some family friends my whole family was really really into it um they're not as they're not into it now um but it's what I call I call self-actualization camp um but it's you know for kids to um I guess, get a head start on uh, your emotional life. Uh, And and when you go in, they teach you that life is empty and meaningless, and it's empty and meaningless that it's empty and meaningless. And, you know, when you're 11, you're like, huh, okay. (laughs) You know, this is kind of depressing. I don't know that my emotions can handle this this right now. uh, Yeah, and, you know, it was like you had to figure out what you thought your flaw was, which is, uh, and then you had to work on that, and then you had to dig into your childhood, which we 
were already inside of, um, you know, so it was sort of like this intense experience of of exploring yourself in that kind of like meta way or like a metaphysical, but still very like grounded in reality. It was weird. So anyway, that one was fine. It was fun hanging out. It's like the real world, you know, when you get to hang out with a bunch of people you don't know and it's kind of exciting. <laughs> but yeah. uh, then uh, we... So do you do you stay at this place? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. overnight yeah. thing? Yeah, I think it's the hotel next door if I'm remembering right. I remember swimming in a pool and that was fun, but I don't think okay. it was there. <laughs> but okay. I think it was like a next door situation, but we were there for like... Like 12 hour stints um with very few breaks and wow. it was intense so you're sitting in rows right with the speaker up front and then random people are called on stage to do to answer different questions or do different weird activities where you like meditate away your headache or something um yeah. Wait, so I'm sorry to interject yeah. one question were you there with your family or was it just Mm-mm. you were by yourself there i was by myself with the kids of other uh family friends Got it. Okay. Right. So that was always kind of how it was, as my family, my family and their friends, both sides of my family, which is funny, but my biological and mom and dad uh, both ha- both somehow found themselves. There's a lot of mutual friends. So they ever we all found ourselves in this tangle of, of this of this program, which, by the way, is increasingly expensive, as you might imagine, and very mm-hmm. scammy. Um, so then I went again when I was 14, and that time was. Ended up with me, like, and I'm so embarrassed to talk about this, but, like, weeping, right? Like, in, like, a found, like, I've been saved type <laughs> type weeping, you know? Like, there was mm-hmm. something. I was, like, giving all my money away to homeless people. Just, like, real on one. And uh, <laughs> so, and that was due to, like, you know, like, you, you have all these self-realizations, right? And self-realizations, when you have them, are, like, pretty amazing and pretty terrible. And, uh... But it makes you feel like you're a new person because mm-hmm. you've just you've just gone through this emotional thing with other people and you've just um, basically joined into this group think, you know, almost mm-hmm. like a hysteria, but like a mini one where, where this reality has been designed for you by mm-hmm. these by these leaders. Right. And then anyway, that was weird. And my boyfriend was like at the time back when I had boyfriends. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah. big reveal. Oh, uh, yeah. Can you imagine? Um, they, uh, he was like, OK, <laughs> this is weird. And then I went back again when I was 16. But the kicker for this one was that it was the very first time they let anyone under 18 into the adult program. And the adult program was like a whole nother ball game. And there were people being called on stage to dissect trauma that maybe they didn't even remember, which, you know, if you listen to our Satanic Panic episode, mm-hmm. it's uh, common to sometimes create false memories. And so I was watching, I didn't know anything like that back then, but I was just watching these adults be randomly that's key, randomly called on to come on stage to, you know, be just just relive trauma in front of us. Like I saw people like crying on the floor and it was and then you had this group of 10 people that you were responsible for. And if anyone left, you were basically supposed to shame them or was trying Jeez, to leave. It's so and weird. It's real weird. And and it's I was like, like teaching bullying. Yeah, let's just go. Ahead it and was teach bullying it's the most. People bullying program but nobody talks about it because it's supposed to be tough you know it's like it's not going to be easy but if you don't stay basically you're never going to be happy is what Mm -hmm. you're taught and um there are still people i I know and love though that get a lot out of it and i always want to try to say that because like nothing's one thing but this is my experience (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and the the experience of other folks who've reached out to me um Mm -hmm. so anyway we 
just uh, I just was like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> like I, my other friends who were guys, which I think makes a difference, because um, the mm-hmm. the leader was a man, like this really skinny, weird man who just like yelled the entire time like his his talking was was aggressive yelling and you know as as a similar person... to the Bikram yoga document documentary oh, if you haven't seen that one no I haven't seen it but I heard the podcast that uh oh my that 20, 20 for 20 30 for 30 30 for 30 know, but you should listen you should watch it it's I will unreal. I'm I'm going to actually my girlfriend used to do Bikram yoga and one of her old friends is in the documentary so we definitely oh, have really? to watch it That's yeah funny. I actually used to do it too Oof. but a long time ago but like it's shocking like he's literally screaming at these women and it's all mostly women some men of course mostly women yeah to like keep going keep going and don't like the heat's not and he's sitting um up above them basically on a throne of sorts not a throne but it's like on an elevated stage and he's got air conditioning blowing on him (laughs) I hate it so much. It's like, oh it's, my God. It's so disturbing. It's so disturbing. Yeah, I mean, the same thing. Just like yelling and I was immediately like, oh yeah, no, I'm not going to do this actually. Um, and so we went out to dinner with our group, you know, and so I, I made the announcement. I was shaking and I made the announcement. I was like, hey, you know, and these are like, I'm in a group with like 30, 40, 50 year old people. And I'm like, hey guys, I need to go, you know, like try to keep it chill. It's like, I got to go. Like I'm 16. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I'm like, like maybe you know, I, someone could pick me up or maybe I have my license. I don't know. I just need, <laughs> I didn't have a license. I was like, yeah. someone's going to pick me up. But they like, most of them just looked at me. But then there was this woman named Peggy, as I mentioned in the episode, but she just mm-hmm. railed on me. Just like, how can you do this to us? Like, how dare you? Like, you're letting us all down. Like, you're going to make us all. And the key was you're going to make us look bad, right? Like, you're going to mm-hmm. make us look bad in front of the leader, which, as you know, in like cultic, not to say this is a cult because it's not really a cult. But, you know, it's in situations like that. That's yeah. a that's a tactic, a huge tactic, and a, and a huge fear is to look bad in front of the leader, because um, you want to be the winner, <laughs> and so yeah. you want to be the winner of the of the self actualization camp. Um, so yeah, just just very mean to me, and eventually, you know, I was crying, just sitting there at dinner, just like crying, which is just great, and all these adults <laughs> are staring at me, and finally, and you know, I'm saying stuff like, oh, my boyfriend just broke up with me, because I'm just trying to come up with like any reason, because I didn't yeah. have a reason, I couldn't say like. I feel like this is horrible. You know, yeah. I didn't. You're making so just me was, feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. I must leave. I have to leave. And so I finally got out of there. And then I went back to get the rest of my stuff because we still had night stuff. And I saw the leader and the co-leader. And I was like, okay, guys, like, I gotta go. And uh, trying to keep it chill. And by the end, they were like, they like physically, I hate to say cornered because it sounds so dramatic, but I mm-hmm. was against a wall my back was and they were talking to me very intensely like at me and you know they were like you can't leave and they kept saying we need to figure out why you're afraid of men yelling at you and I was like I was like no thanks uh everyone is afraid of that and uh and I was also like I remember I think I remember saying like you know I'm 16 I'm not gonna dig into why like I think that might be a future (laughs) Yeah, I'll let you know with. later when yeah. I'm an adult. But I I'm... like I had called my stepdad and and he ended up he ended up coming. And I think it's different when you're an adult, you know. And mm-hmm. um but you know, he had done this group and but I was so happy that, you know, both my parents were like, "Uh okay, we'll come get you." That sounds fucking weird. So, um 
Yeah, my stepdad pulled up. I saw him, and I just peaced out. I just, like, walked away from them, and uh, we drove away, and he gave me an ice cream sandwich, and mm. for the next, like, several weeks, I was definitely, like, had a, had trauma, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, like, that word it is. It only lasted several overused, weeks. Overused, but, yeah, I mean. I don't think that word is overused. I think certain things can be that sounds traumatic. Yeah. I think I have a hard time using the word for myself. I shouldn't say that it's overused, but, um, yeah, I would like it for like a few weeks after I would, I would just burst into tears for no reason. And I would just like get depressed. And that's a common experience of people, especially in the seventies programs that were made that the, that this group was created out of, they were Mm -hmm. much harsher and much more intense. And then they made sort of a corporate version, right. To like sneak Mm -hmm. under the radar. Um, and yeah, so that was my weird experience. And I think the episode is really, um, it's called, I don't think we mentioned it, it's called Mind Control. Um, mm-hmm. but, that uh, I think was one of my favorite ones. Yeah. I thought it was so good. I'm so glad you liked it. Because you were it. also really vulnerable about your own experience and that was, that made it more interesting. Yeah. And I think it's, I've tried, I tried forever. I mean, I tried for so long. I just, I have, uh, I always had intense, intense anxiety, depression, all that stuff. And I didn't really understand. And I didn't even know if that's really what it was. And I know a lot of people can relate to that. And just like, I tried everything, man. I tried meditation, you know, self-help books, therapy, you know, Codependence Anonymous. Like I tried Mm -hmm. everything just because I wanted, I just wanted to feel better. I just wanted to like be normal. And then eventually, you know, I didn't want to take didn't want to take pills, right? I didn't want to do it mm-hmm. because, ooh, I'm not going to be as good of an artist or, ooh, I'm going to, you know, my, my personality is going to change. I'm going to not feel anything or all of the things people are afraid of. And then I finally, you know, I had a bad enough bout that I uh, was like, okay, I need to do something else and try something else. And I got a psychiatrist finally and uh, diagnosed me actually as bipolar two, which is like something I'm very newly talking about because there's so much stigma around mm-hmm. bipolar disorder. My dad is bipolar. Um, and so it, it's something that can be a familial issue. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't just... think there should be stigma around. Oh, it. I no. think that's very, I think that that's what creates the pain for people that are struggling with mental illness is thinking that they're they can't talk about it yeah 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 and you don't know how to talk about it and I think that's a lot of why I wanted to make the episode is because you can go to a million you know if you have if you have mental illness sometimes all you need is just the like the the what it brings it up to normal you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it's not like you're below normal it's like if you have a bad leg or something you're gonna try to you're going to try to heal that leg so that you're back up to normal. Like if you have a, if you have anxiety or depression, then you, there are ways medically to help yourself. Not always. And it doesn't always work. And it's not always the right thing. And sometimes it takes a while to get right. Doesn't mean everybody who's sad needs to be on medication. But, you know, if you have this struggle and you try and you try and you try and nothing works, I feel like it's, it was so easy. And that was mm-hmm. re- that was really hard for a little bit because, you know, it was so easy. It was like I could have done this so long ago, but the culture told me to try everything else first, you mm-hmm. know, and that that was some sort of last resort that, you know, had all these problems with it. And, you know, I was like a naturalist for a while and I was like, oh, if I take this herb or whatever. And eventually I just gave, you know, I just it was almost a giving up. And just saying, you know what? I mean, it's like they teach you, right, in any 12-step program. Like, people don't like that. But you let go of control. You're like, I don't Mm -hmm. have – I can't control this, actually. And I need Mm -hmm. some form of help. And uh, Eckhart Tolle's, you know, meditation book isn't going to do it for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
you know, I Some, think sometimes you just need. Well, they say it on my favorite murder store bought serotonin. Yeah, baby. Like, <laughs> sometimes yeah, you like, need like, it. Hey. Yeah, whatever. It's like if it helps, man. And it does not mean that like meditation and yoga and all those things aren't helpful. They're very helpful, but they aren't necessarily solutions the way Mm -hmm. that we treat them, you know. And so I really wanted to to get that out of the episode because mind control could have easily just been cults, 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 because everybody loves cults, right? Everybody loves Mm -hmm. to talk about, well, not everybody, but you and I probably really love documentaries, you know, things about cults. But but I also thought it was really interesting to go into the history of the New Age movement and the idea Mm -hmm. of controlling your own thoughts, not just having someone control them outside of you, right? And Mm -hmm. these different ways that we've try to train our brains it's um, like um it's it's there's something about um giving the power back to the person to decide what might be best for them as opposed to a group of people deciding what might be best absolutely for them. i totally understand if if someone is you know like criminally insane or i don't i don't know if i'm using the right words but you know what i mean i totally understand I if like someone needs to be but if you're just a a and I, and I assume it comes from love, you know, with people that for the most part, but you know, if, if you're just need to kind of figure it, like don't take the power from that person because that's more damaging to them. It is. And that make yeah, that, that makes perfect sense what you're saying to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. I use they, them pronouns and, uh, sometimes I use she, but I'm trying to have some respect for myself and, and use the pronouns that sound right. If that feels sort of challenging to anyone out there, it, it's pretty simple. It's just that I don't identify as as a woman or a man, but but somewhere in between. And it's a brand new topic, I know, and people are really confused about how to use they. And a really easy example is if you had a cousin, right, if someone mm-hmm. said, hey, my cousin's coming up uh, for a trip this week. And if you didn't know the gender of that cousin, you would say, oh, what's their name? And that's a really normal thing that we say. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of people get stuck on, oh, it sounds like two people and everything. And, and But when you think about the way we've used it for a long time, it's not as challenging. And, uh, you know, it's a new thing. And it might it might challenge some of the ways that you think about gender in the world. And that's OK. Um, but, you know, people like me are out there and we're going to keep continuing to be out there. And, and all it is is just uh, trying your best to to get it right and if you mess up it's all right just just try again you know and yeah, that's uh, I like that. yeah and you know some people feel stronger than I do and that's also okay but I think you know everybody we can just all calm down <laughs> and try our best right so yeah. that that's just it in case in case uh, anyone out there is unfamiliar with the they pronoun did did struggling with uh gender identity uh contribute to your depression and anxiety when you were younger yeah, I'm sure. I mean, back in the back in my coming of age time, there wasn't really any options with gender. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, there was I knew about trans people, um, you know, really early on. There was, you know, a transgender movement finally moving away from sort of that being an offensive, gross thing in popular culture to it being a real legitimate, you know, thing that people are starting to understand and accept and no longer mm-hmm. just treat like the horrible way that we've treated, you know, queer people. Mm-hmm. Um, in popular culture for a long time, and of course, uh, gender, gender non, gender variant people like myself. Um, but yeah, it did contribute to my depression. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, as I, oh, I was, I, I was going to say, it was, 
there weren't there wasn't a accessibility of language. We didn't have queer. You know, it was like mm-hmm. you, you are a lesbian or you were a gay man. And that was like not quite right. It wasn't an easy subject. You know, it wasn't an easy part of my life growing up in uh you know, in the 2000s with Bush, you know, Bush ran on a platform of uh, anti-gay marriage when I was 12 or 13, you know, and it was just a really different time. And so, yeah, it was very depressing growing up in a place where there weren't, you know, my best friend was a wonderful flamboyant gay boy, and he probably saved, you know, everything for me because we kind of carved out a different way to be because of the examples we had. We we're like, that doesn't really feel like who I am, like at all. Mm-hmm. Like, like Ellen didn't really feel I didn't relate to Ellen. I didn't relate to which bless her, you know, nothing. But yeah. it just wasn't. I was like, that's not me. But there was only these small boxes. And then, of course, just the horror of realizing that you're extremely different and every step is going to be a lot harder. And uh, yeah, it definitely did. But not forever, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still hard to this day, but it's it's a huge part of who I am. But there are many parts of me that are in front of that, if it makes sense. Like mm-hmm. there are, you know, I, I would consider myself an artist higher up on my my list of, yeah. of traits. Although, of course, being queer paints every single aspect of my life as mm-hmm. well. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, it was sad, but it's also the, one of the best things that ever happened to me because yeah. I, I love... I just it's just a great way of being able to see the world. And and I think that's important about people who go by they and use they pronouns and don't feel particularly on one side of the gender spectrum or the other is that, you know, that's not a new thing. Indigenous people here before colonization had two, three, four, five genders sometimes. And if Mm -hmm. a young person showed traits of of what their society had deemed feminine or masculine, then that person right away would just go hang out with, you know, the women if they were a young boy who was showing, you know, interest in feminine things. And it wasn't that huge of a deal. And that's a big generalization because every Mm -hmm. tribe is different. But it was much queerer, much, you know, more genderless than than uh, the Puritans who came over and were like, oh, no, this is this is over. So it's not a new thing. It's culturally normal all over the world in places that we just aren't paying attention to. And so it may seem crazy and different and wild and confusing and these new millennials doing all this stuff, but really it's just bringing back something that already existed. And it doesn't it, seem that crazy to me. No, it it's really not. That, it's not. And, and when you say like that you on the list of things that you identify, yes, it, it does paint and color a lot of your life, but you, you would rank artist higher, for example, than, just your queer or gender identity uh I think that comes across like it's not it uh, not that you're trying to be that way but I think it's just I think the the greater message would be that people are people like as I'm talking to you I'm like I'm not even really thinking about that the only reason why I wanted to truly bring it up is because I want to help uh people that you know maybe need to hear this that are struggling but other than that, I'm like, wow, it's just Chelsea. Yeah. She's fucking cool. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I appreciate that. And I think, yeah. you know, the best part of it is is seeing the gray areas in life. And that's really at the heart of American hysteria is nothing's black and white. We treat everything like it's black and white. You know, I mean, look mm-hmm. at our political system is just black and white. You know, there's no between. There's a sea of the less left. There's a sea of the right. There's a sea of, you know, these LGBTQ plus people and 
and oh, maybe they're mad or like these people are mad or this is happening or, you know, blah, blah, blah. But really what's happening is that it's a sea of individual people. right? Mm-hmm. And we, we don't see that. It's a sea of individual people who are just as complicated as you or I. And it doesn't mean that their politics are OK or their opinions are OK. But they're we forget because of the Internet that there's not just this faceless sea of people on the left and the right. And there's not just right and wrong. There's not just, uh, you know, good and bad. There aren't these binaries are not really helpful to us. And so it, it's like a step in the direction of, you know, it's not like the, the categories of men and women have helped us very much throughout our history, which you say mm-hmm. that that's true. Um, and again, yes, it, it, it's 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 it, it's just the gray area is so beautiful. And that's why people were revered in indigenous cultures who were, you know, gender, who were gender queer, who were between genders, who were outside of that structure because they had the knowledge. And again, I often these people are called two spirit. That identity is only for indigenous people. And again, I'm speaking I'm speaking generally, which I don't really like to. But, um, you know, that these people were often revered as special, you know, as mystics or sort of um, the, the leaders of the tribe who understood and could bridge that gap between the two worlds that seem mm-hmm. so different. Right. And so that gray area is everywhere. And it's so yeah. nice when you can find it and calm down and then just really think. Right. And really say what's right for me. What's not? Remember, you're mm-hmm. an individual. Remember, even the people you're talking to on the Internet, if you met them in a store, you saw them outside the Internet, your interaction would be completely different. And 100%. so I don't know. I think the gray area of being of being non-binary has helped with everything in my life and helped me really uh, create American hysteria. Absolutely. Because it's all about the gray areas. Yeah, 100 percent. I think you do a really good job on the podcast of showing both sides. You're not just saying like, oh, this person's in power, so they're evil. You're like, I understand why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really good. Well, thank you for doing this. I don't want oh, you're to so make welcome. sure you get to your appointment. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got to go. Oh, uh, give your social media handles your. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can find American Hysteria at American Hysteria podcast on Instagram and me at Chelsea Weber Smith. And they both connect to each other. So it'll be easy. Twitter, we're Amer Hysteria and Facebook. We're at American Hysteria podcast. But you're going to get the most out of Instagram um, for sure. Perfect. And then American Hysteria dot com, Chelsea Weber Smith dot com. You can check out all my other stuff that I do. Uh, and yeah, this is so great. Thank you so much for having me such an interesting conversation really appreciate it yeah thank you so much for doing it